Hi, I'm my name's Camille. My name's Harini. I'm Kelvina, and welcome to the news podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the harmful effects that pornography has, particularly on women. Viewing erotica is certainly not modern and we can trace it throughout history. So in ancient Greece and Rome, for example, phallic imagery and sexual scenes were quite often presented. Though arguably these weren't used in the same way that modern porn is, in terms of its social and psychological functioning, it was definitely still present and quite common. Then, after imagery came erotic literature like the poem Ars Amatoria by Roman poet Ovid, which discusses the art of seduction and arousal. Then, technological developments like the printing press and much later on the internet led to the rise of our modern day porn, which we can now view really easily in private. All ideas that the church and state condemned, like homosexuality, women's freedom, and even ideas surrounding abortion and contraception. At some point, porn also made fun of the hypocrisy of aristocrats and their misdeeds. So porn was a way not only to explore sexual pleasure, but also to destabilise the social hierarchy. However, in contemporary times, this has changed and availability on the internet has harmful consequences for viewers and for those who make it. Before we get started, we just wanted to put in a quick disclaimer. This episode will mention some potentially triggering topics like sexual violence, incest, various forms of fetishization, BDSM and paedophilia. In recent times, we've entered a new chapter of the porn journey throughout history with the emergence of sites like OnlyFans, which puts the obligation of X-rated entertainment into the hands of content creators themselves, where you have viewers paying creators for exclusive content. It presents the illusion that OnlyFans is a strictly liberating career, where porn was once seen as problematic and exploitative within the mainstream industry, with women like Mia Khalifa being brought to light in the media. OnlyFans is seen as the better alternative for creators, since fans are paying them, with the porn industry itself not explicitly leeching off of the profits as much. So when power laid completely with the porn producers in the industry, sex trafficking and forcing women into the industry was very rife. As OnlyFans is creator-driven, there's greater emphasis on consent and empowerment for the creators on the site, which is important. However, OnlyFans being seen as a strictly liberating career is also problematic. For example, we've seen girls like Danielle Brigoli and Malu Treveo creating OnlyFans accounts as soon as they turned 18 and making a lot of money through it. So within six days, for example, Brigoli made a million dollars on the platform and within the first week, Malu accumulated over 37,000 subscribers after starting it on her 18th birthday. So what's the scariest about this is that there had been grown men, grown fans out there who waited for these particular underage girls, especially those who already had a platform and a following on social media, to turn 18 and to turn legal just to see their content. And people have been incredibly quick to place blame on these young women for their popularity on the app. But we see them more as victims of the industry. They've essentially been groomed into that position, both being young women who became popular through media and social media alike. This also shows the illusion of liberal feminism, as just because one lucky woman or a minority of women are benefiting from sex work or porn does not mean that all women are benefiting. The remainder of these women are still subject to objectification, including how this in turn has sexualized certain day-to-day activities, certain clothes, professions, fruits, and a range of other things that women should be able to do, wear, or eat in peace without it eliciting any kind of sexual connotation. 
In many cases, self-made porn empowers and sexually liberates women, and women who want to create pornographic content should always be able to do so in a safe manner. However, men are still the root of all of the issues that come from this. They still profit, both in a fiscal sense and in terms of social power, due to reducing women to sex objects. When men search for porn, they often search for categories like features, race, sexuality and age. And categorising women in this way naturally objectifies women because that is fundamentally the whole point of the modern porn industry. Women are reduced to these social categories and seen as less than human when, in reality, these categories and inverted commas add to their intersectionality and individuality as amazing human beings. Also, it might be worth noting that watching women be sexual by themselves through OnlyFans or be sexualized through the overwhelming majority of any other kind of online smut, this gives men yet another source of feeling a sense of power by watching them, and more specifically, power over women. Because crucially, apart from a very few notable exceptions, this erotica is made for the enjoyment of men, and thus becomes not just an act of watching men have sex, but more realistically of watching women have sex done to them. And that brings up the issues of fetishization in the porn industry, which is a term that acts to make something or someone sexual. And so in porn, and in what most men commonly search up, we can really see this in terms of race, with terms like ebony being common searches. Other common searches in porn are teen porn and lesbian porn, also paedophilic themes that are really nasty, like people are genuinely out there searching for barely legal porn and quote unquote just turned 18. And that is so disgusting to me because they're really feeding into the childlike beauty standards in which they want women to look like children and be small and petite and have young looking youthful faces and be completely hairless, which is just not realistic of what women look like. And there's also common themes that are often searched up of incest, like stepbrother and stepmother characters, which is so dangerous because when people are consuming this porn a lot, they start to normalise this sort of behaviour, and that can lead to massive issues like child abuse. Amanda Naylor is at the lead of discussion on child sexual abuse at Bernardo's, the charity, and she says that these videos that show these practically abusive fantasies like parent-child porn or fetishizing younger teenagers actually encourages sexual interest in children. And the more popular these videos get, the more videos like this are uploaded. And suddenly it's a very normal fantasy to have when it's actually so dangerous. And child pornography, it's important to know, is not pornography at all. It's actually sexual abuse. Watching children in a sexual manner is abusive material. It's so heartbreaking knowing that there's videos of children up on the internet obviously uploaded by the adults in their lives because children cannot consent. They do not know what's going on. Children are so vulnerable and they're really exploited by the porn industry and these awful fantasies that are floating about on the internet. Also recently, there's been word going around the internet that someone is planning on giving birth on OnlyFans, which is sexualizing the child as soon as it comes out of the womb. And that just goes to show how scary the porn industry can be and how it really does exploit children. And following on from that, it translates into real life as well. So child pornography stats in the UK, for example, are incredibly shocking. We've seen during lockdown internet grooming of children from the ages of 7 to 10, according to new research, increased by three times since more and more children are spending more time online. And the fetishization of certain groups also has horrible real-life consequences. So, for example, for lesbian and bisexual women and couples. So we've all seen the London bus attack on the lesbian couple 
which was powered by a male fetishization of lesbians, where the male attackers tried to make the woman kiss. In fact, the majority of mainstream porn actually contains some sort of violence against women, and what's scariest about that is that it only touches on the content which is allowed on mainstream sites like Pornhub, but there's so many less popular websites and illegal sources and hidden sites through which porn can be accessed, which makes the actual figures of sexual violence against women, that's both violence that is fictionally depicted and then real violence, so much higher than what has been researched. And only recently has the most popular websites been forced essentially to remove all content that relates to sexual violence, rape content and trafficked content. So Pornhub has only recently been told to do so. So that kind of material has been sitting on these websites for years and years. You've had people filing lawsuits and cases against porn companies to have videos of their rape and their sexual assault that has been filmed, uploaded and streamed thousands of times to be removed. And only recently has this led to videos being taken down. So you can just imagine how damaging pornographic content which depicts violence can be to survivors of sexual assault and rape who come across it, whether this is real or fictional. Even those who choose to employ lawyers, even if they're the best lawyers in the world, suggest that having videos of their sexual assault taken down is not an easy process. Even if Pornhub itself takes the material down, it may have already been streamed by loads of other people, maybe downloaded onto other devices, maybe refilmed, re-uploaded onto other sites. So people can still come back to the same video. And it's like we were told as kids, oh, when something's on the internet, it stays. It never really disappears. And that is a very depressing way to look at an already horrific thing for women to go through. And to top it all off, there are people out there who continue to watch and derive sexual pleasure out of people's sexual assault. Now, these kinks and fetishes don't solely exist on porn sites, even though sexual violence against women is now shown on practically every homepage of them in the mainstream media. But it has also spread into social media platforms that now also play an active role. For example, people on TikTok openly shaming other people in the comment section of videos for preferring vanilla sex, which is just the mutual give and take of sexual relations. For those who don't know, BDSM stands for bondage, discipline or domination, sadism or submission, and masochism. And in a healthy setting, this often just involves sexual activity that features games, role play, props, tying a partner up and things like that. However, it also often encompasses violent sex, including bruising, crying and resistance, and is therefore already incredibly close to the line of sexual abuse, given that TikTok is an app with primarily child and teen viewers. Promoting BDSM to the point of shaming and humiliating others can therefore very quickly become dangerous or just straight up fully harmful. Like there was a trend a couple of months ago where a boyfriend hits his girlfriend across the face and it became sexualized immediately by underage viewers all over TikTok with people commenting things like, where can I find a man like this? Well, that's so attractive. And those who question it and say that this is wildly inappropriate for a children's app are then attacked for not being sex positive. Now it's worth pointing out as well that in the same way as watching loads of a certain kind of pornography can psychologically condition you to finding something arousing that you previously didn't, BDSM can cause and also stem from, for some people, an unhealthy relationship with sex. And especially among teens who are still navigating what consent even means in the first place in a safe vanilla setting, let alone when you bring in bruising and intimidation. 
Also, after the film 365 Days became popular, there was a trend for couples to show the bruises that they received during sex to show how rough it got, following the rise of BDSM shows in the film. This also leads to what is known as the rough sex defence, which has been used previously to fully just absolve men of their sexually violent acts to their partner. Now, fundamentally, what adult consenting partners do is entirely their own business. But when you bring that onto social media platforms and brag about it, encourage people or even shame others for not being doing the same thing, you're now showing that to all of the children and teens on the platform and 100% fueling these harmful conversations. There's also a point to be raised about addiction where consuming more and more porn will lead to desensitisation. So research shows that users depend on more stimulation once they are addicted, which leads to them seeking out stronger or more extreme types of porn, which in turn can lead to them watching things like real sexual assaults, child porn or bestiality, which also leads to an increased demand for this more extreme content. Another point to raise is that porn can act as a mode of sex education, especially when a comprehensive one is not given. Like the sex education I received at school comprised of the core content taught in science in terms of the actual anatomy of the male and female bodies, and then a few lessons on contraception. And for some schools, that might be even less. But because porn is so easily accessible to young people, young people learn that the sexual acts that they see are correct because they're not told differently. And there is such a taboo with talking freely about sex that exists within society. Porn then sets unrealistic sex standards because people don't realise that porn is fake. So then the real life expectation of women's performances in bed and women's bodies in porn is very focused to what appeals to the male gaze. Even things like fake moaning and orgasms, which are trying to depict female pleasure, are not actually there to elevate the women, but are centred around increasing male confidence and male ego. There has been a rise recently for porn for women, porn that is catered to women, made for women, by women. But that just goes to show that porn has never actually been for women. It's been for the male gaze to appeal to the majority male audience. So even though porn made for women with sites like Balesa House is said to be more ethical and realistic, that begs the question, can porn ever really be ethical? Because the industry is, especially in current times, so harmful on the whole. So because of this, anti-porn movements have sprung up in response, but they've essentially gone from women raising valid points about their safety and empowerment to conservative right-wing men and religious groups taking over to frame porn as something downright disgusting. Porn can be liberating to some women and letting them explore and destigmatize female pleasure is certainly important, but the mainstream anti-porn movement that's explored these issues has now been taken over to frame it as something that is more damaging to men rather than concentrating on the negative impact on women in the industry and women in wider society. Though men are certainly affected, the emphasis shouldn't be taken off women's issues and how the industry itself is so damaging. If you do a quick Google search of the negative effects of porn, the website titles include things like porn-induced erectile dysfunction in young men at the top of the searches. And so criticisms of porn are still centred on men and their issues and addiction largely. There are, however, various forums and groups which advocate for the abstinence from porn and masturbating, for example, NoFap, which is a thread on Reddit. 
Though it is not publicly associated with religion or politics, it has come to be regarded as part of the manosphere, which is the area of the internet which promotes misogyny and strong anti-feminist messages, with 99% of the users in the thread being male. In an article by Sarah Manavis in The New Statesman, she describes the NoFap community as becoming linked to wider sexism and misogyny, reducing women to sexual objects to be attained or abstained from, and shaming sexually active women. As we can see then, even in spaces which are not explicitly advertised as right-wing spaces promoting purity culture and shaming sex workers, rather than the industry that exploits them, it is apparent that a misogynistic perspective of an issue created by men is quite often adopted. A lot of people on both sides suggest the criminalisation of porn as an answer to this issue. Porn would then be removed from mainstream access, making it harder for young people to easily see or even children to accidentally stumble across, which is certainly important. But this removes all content from what we can legislate and regulate, making the industry even more dangerous for women in terms of trafficking, sexual assault and paedophilia. Then porn will essentially become a part of the dark web and we will naturally see a move to completely unmonitored content, which would work only to disadvantage the women being exploited by the porn industry and women in wider society. Overall, the porn industry, especially since the rise of the internet, has become increasingly unsafe and dangerous for female creators, and also the wider issue of women in society, especially in terms of the violence that it fantasises and straight up normalises. We need to move past porn being this silenced taboo topic, however, and start discussing that and safe sex to ensure that women's rights, lives and safety remain at the forefront of this conversation. Because, for example, when everything came out about Pornhub and the rate of women being sexually exploited or abused as part of it, for many women, myself included, the only thing that was surprising about that was that people didn't know that already and that it hadn't been blindingly obvious from the start. So if you're someone who consumes a lot of pornographic content, be it regularly or occasionally, we hope that we've given you things to think about and encourage you to do your research, especially based on the websites that you're getting this content from. That's all that we have time for for today, unfortunately. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and our content, and especially that you learned something. If you want to contribute any ideas, any opinions on what we've talked about, anything that you think that we've missed, uh, feel free to DM us on Instagram at news underscore LDN. You can write articles or read from our blog at www.newslondon.co.uk where we upload a new article or a new episode every week. That's all from us. This was the News Podcast.